Hello and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty, Queen Victoria. Episode 32, it's a sailor's life for you. There are many images that come to mind when we think of the Victorian era and the 19th century. Queen Victoria would certainly be one of them, as would tight and gorgeous yet incredibly uncomfortable dresses and men with exquisite manners sitting around smoking pipes and exploiting colonial conquests. And then there is the Royal Navy. The English Navy is synonymous with world conquest and creating an empire on which the sun famously never set. Small ships with hard-bitten crews, commanded by even harder men that were focused on their goals of conquest, winning sea battles and enforcing the Queen's law all around the world. I covered some of the career of probably the greatest English Navy man way back in episode 3 of the first season when I spoke about Admiral Horatio Nelson. And there is no doubt that much of the success of the Royal Navy comes from their discipline. The stereotype of cruel control of the crew has been seen in countless books, TV shows and movies. But for all their success, it comes with a price. Some of you may have heard of what was formerly known as impressment, but to most of us, it's always been known as being press-ganged. So, to clarify for those new to the table, firstly, welcome, great to have you here, and secondly, being press-ganged was a term referring to being forcibly made to join the Royal Navy and serve on one of their ships. The time served varied depending on needs, but legally it was later defined as no more than five years. And when I say legally, this is an important distinction, because while it might seem that the whole impressment gig was unconstitutional and basically slave labour, it was actually a legal action that could be taken by the Navy to ensure that they had the numbers to continue defending their empire kind of like a uh, conscription on the sea. Probably the most famous naval battle of the era was of course the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, the one that really defined the legend of the aforementioned Horatio Nelson. At that time the Royal Navy was composed of approximately 120,000 men, and it's estimated that about half of those men were actually there voluntarily which I think can give you an idea of just how prevalent impressment was. What was news to me was that they didn't just take anyone. For example, you wouldn't be just walking down the street minding your own business, get clocked over the head and find yourself on a ship for the next few years. The Navy knew what they were looking for. Sailors found in bars or other places were the target. The Navy wanted trained men and they had to have at least some experience being at sea. So they were always looking for sailors, not just anybody. There are stories of men being taken from their beds and hauled into service, and even groomsmen being taken from their weddings and forced to serve in the Navy. 
Then there were the privateers. These were men on ships that were basically pirates with a government license to, well, pirate. <laughs> they were most at risk and took care to avoid the Navy while they were gallivanting about on the high seas. Not because what they were doing was illegal, because it wasn't, but because they were the perfect resource to find men. The Navy ship pulls them up, grabs a bunch of men that they wanted and went on their merry way. There are even reports of ships being in harbour, having their men impressed and leaving the ship without enough crew to sail again. Impressment had been conducted by the kingdom for centuries. It was first made legal during the time of Queen Elizabeth I. While the practice had been around since the 13th century, it was actually in 1563 that good Queen Bess passed an act that, quote, act touching politic considerations for the maintenance of the Navy, end quote. This was taken further in 1597 when the Vagrancy Act was passed and allowed for men of disrepute, I love that term, to be forced into service. It was seen by many in the kingdom as inhumane and unconstitutional, and so wasn't exactly a popular policy. Later changes in legislation came about though, and 200 years later, but eh, they're getting there. Because in 1740 an act was passed that declared that all men under the age of 18 and over 55, as well as foreigners, were exempt from impressment. But we all know that this was basically ignored, and they got hauled into service anyway. During this time, the Royal Navy had even taken men from American ships, which might come as a shock, but was also one of the leading causes of the War of 1812. Uh, keeping it very short, because this is a podcast about 19th century United Kingdom and not America, but Britain was intent on maintaining their interest in North America against the independent American states. This included them stating that many of the sailors were, air quote, British and not, air quote, American, and so could legally be taken into service. For some weird reason, Americans didn't like being taken into forced labour, and so we got the War of 1812. So much irony. Being in the Royal Navy did have its benefits, though. The pay was pretty good compared to commercial ships. Tempering that, though, was the fact that the Navy always paid late, sometimes up to two years, but generally around about six months. The idea being that if you deserted, it cost you six months' worth of pay that you were being owed. To give you some idea of how this played into the sailors' thinking, in the 1700s, the recorded rate of desertion was around about 25%, surprisingly with little difference between volunteers and those press-ganged into service. But within a few months on board a ship, the desertion rate dropped off to almost zero as the men realised they were being owed more and more money. Oh, hey, the Navy might be harsh, but they're not dumb. That said, the workload was also a lot lighter than on a normal ship. Because in a Navy ship, the number of crew was based on what was needed to serve cannons, not sailing. This could be anything up to four times the number of men required to sail a ship. There's a big difference right there. So, tick for less work, but a cross for the fact that you're there to be in a battle. But aside from the fighting part and pay held back, and also a lot less work, 
Why wouldn't you want to work on a Navy ship, I hear you ask? To which I reply, excellent question, dear listener. Well, after all, there were the punishments. I'm sure most of us have some idea of the fact that discipline on a Navy ship was strict. Every time we see a movie or a TV show of the Royal Navy during this period, inevitably we get the scene where someone has done something wrong and cops a brutal punishment far exceeding what we perceive to be appropriate to the crime. Flogging was the most common punishment for a sailor, that is, being whipped for your crime. Now, this was usually done with the frayed end of a rope. So, less than a whip, but more than a stern talking to. And then, of course, there was the infamous Cat of Nine Tails. Now, I have no idea where that name came from. Let's face it, cats are about nine lives, not tails, so who knows? It's probably a derivative of that, I'm guessing. But the Cat of Nine Tails was a shorter whip with, yes, you guessed it, nine leather straps rather than the solo one. We're not talking Indiana Jones times nine here. It was a shorter whip and was made specifically for punishment. On some occasions, the device had led tips to the nine lashes of the whip. Now, this would cause you some serious damage to your back, so you better hope your captain had some humanity and didn't believe that this was an acceptable implement of punishment. So how many lashes did you get for punishment? Well, like any other form of punishment, the amount you received depended on your crime. The best research I've been able to find on this was from John D. Byrne Jr. in his 1989 work Crime and Punishment in the Royal Navy. He looked at the logs of a number of ships during this era. Many of the rope-style whippings might have occurred just to incentivize the men rather than being a specific punishment to a specific crime, as they might appear in a lieutenant's log, but not the captain's. But as of 1806, the captain of a British warship could sentence a sailor to up to 12 lashes from the cat of nine tails. This would be administered on the gangway, in front of the assembled crew. Anything more that might have been deemed necessary would only occur after an official court-martial. Commissioned officers, however, were not subject to this arbitrary punishment. Their floggings could only occur after their court-martial, and to be honest, most of the time they only received a reprimand rather than corporal punishment. As an aside, it's interesting to note where the jobs of the ship got their names from. Jobs on a ship, say like a boatswain or a seaman, derive from the Anglo-Saxon terms, whereas the officers' titles such as lieutenant, captain and admiral were all Norman French in origin. Just another class distinction, keeping the gap between the workers and management nice and wide. But back to the punishments, and there were differences with a court-martial flogging. Once you had been deemed that you were to be flogged, you could be put on a boat with your flogger. I guess you might call them, <laughs> for want of a better term, and sailed around the harbour. At each ship that happened to be in the harbour, you would be stopped and flogged for a share of the punishment. This was called being flogged around the fleet. And that's a phrase that probably needs a comeback. Imagine coming home after a hectic day at work, being asked how your day was and replying, it was a shocker, I feel like I'd just been flogged around the fleet. Admit it, it does sound great. Also again up until 1806, 
a sailor found guilty of stealing from his comrades could be punished with what was known as running the gauntlet. Now, I'm sure some of you bright sparks have already guessed what this might be. The crew would line up in a line, half one side, half the other, and you would be made to run along through between them. It was legal that whatever your fellow sailors had on them could be used, and they would also be able to beat you as you made your way to the end of the gauntlet. And you just know that some of those guys that didn't like you would make sure they had the worst implements on board a ship to hit you with. So you better not steal from your mates, eh? Now, Byrne did find in the period 1784 to 1812 that an average of 9% of men were flogged on one of his sample ships. So while it does seem like it's kind of a lot, it's less than I guess we've been made to believe based on movies and other pop culture media. Also, it seems that neglect of duty was the main reason for punishment, making up half of the charges where whippings occurred. So the United Kingdom continued applying the impressment laws on their citizens right through to the 19th century. They were especially important in making sure that the Navy had enough men for the Napoleonic Wars where the restriction on age that I mentioned earlier was repealed. But this was to be the heyday of impressment. From having 135 ships in 1793 to a massive 584 ships in 1812, and personnel increasing from 36,000 to around 114,000, the Royal Navy had reached a high point in both seamen and ships. And there was good reason for this. With the Napoleonic Wars raging on, they needed all the men they could get. But by 1814, the surrender of Napoleon saw that the need for such a massive naval force was gone, and the Navy began scaling back on personnel. Impressment was never used again by the Royal Navy, although, interestingly, the laws for it have never been repealed. The next major war that the Kingdom fought was against Russia in 1853. That was the Crimean War, and impressment wasn't needed at that time. The Navy used a more modern system of volunteering that gave the men more benefits and that, along with better conditions, and no doubt less floggings, saw them getting the requisite men they needed to man their ships. The closest impressment ever came to being put in place again was during the Great War, or World War I as it is otherwise known, where men were conscripted for all of the armed services. Now I've a mixed mind about the practice of impressment. On one hand, it did exploit people and their skills during periods of colonial expansion and was used simply to further the interests of a bunch of extraordinarily rich people in London. But also during those times of war, it was, and unfortunately can still be necessary, to conscript people into military force. History has shown enough examples where this has been essential to ensuring preservation of a society. So at this point, I'd like to say thanks to listener Patrick, who suggested this as a topic for the podcast. I would say I was impressed with the suggestion, but that would be a shocking pun, and I'm above that. <laughs> okay, so I'm not. And here endeth the episode. You can find me at victoriangaslamp.com. My contact details are on there as well. If you could follow me on Twitter, that'd be great, at VicGaslamp, and more importantly on Instagram, where I post history facts and trivia as well as photos related to the episodes. And I'm 
Victorian gas lamp there as well. The next episode will be out in two weeks, so keep a look out for that. And I'll see you next time under the gas lamp.